Mindfulness Mode 152. When you're mindful, you're more powerful and you recognize your values and you can demonstrate your best self. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many ways mindfulness has impacted their lives. Last time, Mindful Tribe, I talked with Michael Glover. He's so open and he was so vulnerable about the social anxiety and depression he's experienced in his lifetime. I, I got to tell you, he was really passionate during the interview. And I think if you haven't had a chance to hear Michael Glover on episode 151, you'll want to go back and listen. He talks about being healthy and how excited he is to share how he's moved past all his anxiety, or at least most of it, and moved into the realm of being really, really healthy. Today, Mindful Tribe, I talk with Jean Caton. She is an experienced executive from corporate America. She worked in New York City for many years. Now she's a women's business coach, especially teaching how to build the confidence muscle in women working in the field of science and technology. When I asked Jean who has been her biggest mindfulness influence, I was so humbled because she said Bruce Lankford. Because she and I have talked a lot. She interviewed me for her show. I just love Jean. She's she's just such a quality person, so knowledgeable. Speaking of helping people, I mentioned last time I'm working on an anti-anxiety training program. I'm planning to call it Dissolve Your Anxiety. Stay tuned because I'm looking for some testers to help me with the launch. And, you know, just to get this thing started, I'll let you know more as soon as I can. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this excellent episode with the wonderful Gene Caton. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited to have Gene Caton on the line today. Hey, Gene, are you in mindfulness mode? Hey, I'm talking to you, Bruce. I better be. (laughs) (laughs) Gene, I am really excited to talk to you. Gene Caton is a business coach specializing in helping women who are emerging leaders in STEM-related careers. STEM is the acronym for science, technology, engineering, and math. Jean blazed the trail as a woman in corporate America, specifically New York City, in the 80s. She finds that women moving into this STEM space can find the transition to be particularly challenging. Jean is also an expert at helping her clients establish confidence, and she partners with professionals to help develop strategies for managing tough situations, difficult people, and high levels of overwhelm. So, Jean, I'd just like to start with a little bit about what mindfulness means to you, Jean. Well, I've learned a term that applies to what I've been trying to do, and that term is mindfulness. And what I've tried to do that I've recently incorporated mindfulness and meditation to help with is to Be in the moment. And I know that's kind of a throwaway phrase in some ways, but I read somewhere or learned somewhere, or maybe I heard it on one of your podcasts, I'm not sure. But it was a term that said, noticing where I am. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. I'm noticing where I am and what I'm doing as opposed 
to be doing it, but with my mind somewhere way out into the future. And a good example for me is I occasionally miss the exit from my yoga practice uh, in the morning. It's um, about five minutes away. And sometimes I sail right by it and go to the next exit, which is the exit I take when I do some volunteer work. (laughs) So I certainly can define mindfulness by what it's not. And I'm not being mindful when I'm doing that. So to be more specific, it's noticing where I am and what I'm doing. And it's aware of the moment I'm in right now because I'm often out in the future somewhere. And, you know, it's kind of funny, Bruce, that I have, well, fairly recently become quite the cat person after never really even liking cats and you know they are (laughs) such a great role model for what mindfulness is because they are so in the moment they jump up on a counter and you go get down get down and they know they should get down and then a nanosecond later they're back up there (laughs) (laughs) they're amazing creatures so so i hope that gives you some idea of what i'm thinking about when i use the term mindfulness well it really does gene and you know i know you help a lot of women with confidence and you seem like a very confident woman but you know i know we all have challenges with confidence and i'm just wondering how do you think mindfulness can help women with their confidence Oh, wow. I think it can help so much. And what it's helped me with in general is to be more focused and present. And presence is something that um, Amy Cuddy, uh, she was a she's a Harvard professor and she wrote a book by the title of Presence. And when you're present, you can be so much more confident and so much more powerful because when you're not present and your mind is racing and you're thinking about how awful things could go wrong or how you could fail or am I saying the right thing or all these other things that um, are the thief of confidence when that mind gets racing uh, um, in all sorts of other directions, being focused and present really let you be your most powerful self. And I've used the word presence and I've used the word your thinking creates your emotions and what you do and don't do. But the word mindfulness really wraps it all together. And I love what you said, the thief of confidence. Because I had never actually thought of that phrase, but wow, that is a powerful phrase. And it really is true that, you know, we go along and we feel confident and then all of a sudden, sometimes it just slips away and something has stolen the confidence. And then when you stop to think about it, it's usually the inner voice, isn't it? It's usually us telling ourselves something that isn't even true or isn't even rational sometimes. And I mean, let's face it, women have have particular challenges in our society because, you know, from the time, you know, you're a little girl, there are 
there are all these messages. You know, you go into the department store and you see little T-shirts for little girls and it says, you know, I'm a princess. And mm. you see the ones for the little boys and they don't have that kind of message at all. It's like, like I'm going to rock your world or whatever. You know, it's that whole different power thing. And how do you think we can, like, how can we deal with that and sort of work against it and and bring our girls up to have the confidence and belief in themselves that they should have? Well, that is such a wonderful question because it is about bringing the girls up. And I work with a lot of w- women who are brought up just like you was you said. Right. Be nice, be pretty. Yeah. Oh, don't fight with, you know, Mm -hmm. don't stand up for yourself, be polite and all that. And so a lot of the people that I work with around confidence and all the other things that they need to survive the corporate environment in the business world is going against their socialization. So we have to acknowledge they were socialized otherwise, but recognize they have to overcome that to be as successful as they may want to be. And I don't mean, I tell people lions don't have to roar. You know, you don't have to be a real pit bull out there to do this, but quietly confident works just as well too. But it goes back to the socialization of the young girls. And I admire my niece who's raising two daughters. And I try to be so careful and so empowering of them when I'm around them. They're Right now they're um, five and seven. And she will say to them things like, oh, you must be so proud of yourself, which I love instead of saying, I'm so proud of you and things like that. So I think we have to really get in touch with young girls and not just their mothers, but their mothers, their fathers, and all the adults that are around them need to pay attention to empowering young girls. And for those of us who maybe didn't get that too much when we were growing up, we need to, there's still opportunity to learn. Yeah, we absolutely do. And, you know, there are so many ways we can learn. But, you know, I was noticing something that you wrote, and it's such a great quote. I mean, this is really, really powerful. The quote is, confidence trumps competence when it comes to being perceived as a leader. So let's talk about being perceived as a leader. You know, there are a lot of ways that we can do it, but how do we make our way into that position of leadership? Well, it's interesting, that quote that I just love, I read uh, an article in Harvard Business Review, Mm -hmm. and um, the phrase was used in that article, and the title was, Why Do We Have So Many Incompetent Leaders?, And the guy who wrote the article ended up saying it's because we promote people because they look and act confident, but we don't look at bother to look at their competence. So it's women very, very competent, but they send the wrong message when they don't demonstrate their confidence, you know, because you really, to be a good leader, need to do both, is to have the confidence and the competence. But showing the confidence is really what helps people to perceive you as credible. 
And there was some research, actually, it was a doctoral dissertation out of the UK that I read uh, not that long ago. And basically what it said is when people are on stage and they speak confidently, they're perceived as more accurate, more intelligent, and more of a leader. So I tell the women I work with, because so many of them are so capable, and yet they're still not getting the respect and the recognition for the value they contribute. And you don't have to be looking for the kind of office to want this. You can be doing a job at any level, and you want to be perceived as contributing value and you may be a supervisor at a lower level but you want to be respected as a leader so it's really about what how you look and I don't mean necessarily the clothes you have on how how you look in your body language um, and your demeanor and all of that how you look how you sound And so much of our communication these days is virtual. I mean, look at what we're doing today. Exactly. I don't have a navy blue suit and a briefcase like I did when I first entered corporate America back in the 80s. And I thought, well, at least that makes me look like a leader, even though I'm only a tiny five foot two inch woman. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, do you sound like a leader? Do you speak directly and confidently and leave out all the hedges and the maybes and I just and I kind of thought and this might be a stupid question but and all of those other things that we we rob ourselves in that case of our confidence so how you look how you sound or speak and then how you act in general Um, oftentimes confidence is a perception that's packaged up among a lot of things. And you see a confident person or a person walk into the room and you're not looking at these individual discrete things, but you see how they interact with people, how they make eye contact, shake hands, walk with a confident posture and all that. So all that is to say, whether you are a leader, you want to be a leader or you just want to be perceived as a confident and competent person, uh, people make judgments based on what you look like before they know anything about how good you are. Yes, they do. And that's not always easy to explain that and to help people understand that because people want to be who they are. People want to wear what they want to wear and that kind of thing. I remember when I first went into teaching and I really liked to wear a tie and wear a jacket and I just, that's the way I wanted to be, you know. And uh, even at that time, a lot of the other teachers didn't dress up very much. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to be the person I want to be and dress the way I want to dress. And yet, I had some flack from that. Some of the other teachers, some of the other male teachers, you know, were a little snarky with me. And one even said to me, who do you think you are, the principal? This is just your first year of teaching, you know. And yeah. I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll be a principal sooner than you will. Who knows? Like, right. But well, we were, just, we were always taught when I was in corporate America, dress like the job you're looking for. Right. But when, you know, when you say some of your peers or people that have maybe taught more than you have, um, to me, 
all those comments of, well, who do you think you are? Those are simply comments based in their insecurity. Yes. Because if they want to dress casually and were secure enough to do it, they would say, hey, Bruce, you look real nice in that suit or that outfit or something like that. They wouldn't be trying to put you down with those comments. No, no, that's true. So looking back at your illustrious career, what do you do you ever remember a time when you really did struggle with confidence or a certain issue over which confidence was a challenge for you? Well, it's really interesting because I, when I talk about my career highlight reel, I often talk about things that I did with so super confident out yes. of naivete. I just didn't <laughs> know any better that I was doing something quite as risky. But to be really clear on when I was the least confident, it it was probably when I became an entrepreneur about 10 years ago. And that's after, you know, a from four-year-old on up, lots of memories of doing things that were kind of impossible, not likely for a young girl brought up in the 50s and 60s and all that. But I went to become an entrepreneur and man, your whole life faces you then and shows what you're really made of. And you've probably experienced that as well, Bruce, because it's so different than working a J-O-B. And what I realized is, wait a minute, I'm not the expert here. And I was always the expert, which felt really boosted my confidence. Right. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Um, maybe I'm not really good at selling people <laughs> and asking them to buy my products and services. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I'm putting out all this email marketing, but I'm like, it makes me sound better than I am. Right. <laughs> and I really struggled with my confidence in um many of the first years of being an entrepreneur, despite having all sorts of business training and degrees and all this and that, I just am not the natural born entrepreneur, despite what it looked like. And I have a favorite story that I won't get into in detail, but I, you know, I was a disaster networking because I was so insecure. Okay. (laughs) I was so insecure. I was probably that guy, you know, that's so obnoxious (laughs) because you're trying to pretend you're somebody that you're not. And I'm a real authentic person. So I struggled through that insecurity until I found my way and would market my business in a way authentic to me. And that's primarily through public speaking and some other ways, but that's authentic to me. I can be my authentic self. I don't have to do some of those other things that are too salesy for me. And then I realized the more I sort of worked the entrepreneurial model to fit who I am, I gained more confidence. But even to this day, I would say I was a more confident corporate America woman, even though there weren't many women doing that, than I am after 10 years of being an entrepreneur. Wow, is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I love the book, The Power of Habit, and I'm curious how you've used habit, you know, deliberately over the years to help you in your career. Well, 
it's it's really interesting. You use the word habit, um, which I think is quite similar to the word that I use, which is uh, routine. Yes. And I'm very disciplined and I love my routine, even though now my workload is far more flexible and I, I've cut my workload down. I, you know, I'm not working 24 seven like I've done in the past. Well, it's like exaggeration, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I have always had a routine, um, that often falls apart. I mean, you might, you can't always do it, but my routine starts in the morning. And if today is Tuesday, I'm at yoga at 6.30 class. Right. If today is another day. So I get my morning off with a very strict um, routine. And that has always worked for me. And I have always tried to um, use routines, not that were against migraine, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm so not a morning person, but I'm going to get up at five o'clock to exercise. Well, I am a morning person. And that's <laughs> why I do it in the morning. Right. But I, I have a structure to my day um, that I really respect and honor. Right. Right. Yeah. And when you wake up, you just know what you're going to be doing. And it, doesn't it feel good to know that? Oh, it, it reduces so much stress. I don't have to make any decisions. I walk to the kitchen. I feed the cat. I drink my coffee. I have my quiet time. You know, yeah. I do everything. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, you're all about mindfulness and meditation. Um, I have had to play around with a routine till I found something that fit me well, because, you know, there were times that I said, well, this would be a good time and do it this way and this way. And it didn't work for me. So I often say as a coach, this is a kind of jagony word, but it's not what you do, but who you are. So am I being who I am when I'm doing my routine? That's important to me because I want to, who I am goes to bed early and usually is listening to some kind of uh, interesting developmental podcast about cooking or books or something I like. Um, But I know who I am. And when I try to go against that, no habit sticks. Right. Right. Jean, you know, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I think most of us have some kind of story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. Do you have a story you can share with us? Well, I at first I thought, you know, oh boy, Bruce has really done some tremendous things and very passionate about bullying. And I'm thinking, well, um, hmm, bullying, what do I know about bullying? And then again, I kind of reframed what it means. And I realized, wow, yeah, I've witnessed a lot of bullying that mindfulness certainly could have helped. And there's really two ways that I thought about it. And one is I have experienced a lot of bully bosses in my Mm -hmm. corporate career. They either were, I guess, bully-like to me, only not in a really overt way, 
and then some of my colleagues that were maybe a little more timid and easier to be, quote, unquote, a victim, um, they suffered from those people even more. And it wasn't until many years after I no longer worked for this one particular person that I really realized that I almost felt sorry for him that he had to treat me as, I don't know, cursory as he did um, because I threatened him. Okay. And I, I'm like, how, yeah. how could Jean, Jean's like this nice woman doing her job and all this and that, but I threatened him. And it would have helped me to have known that sooner. And it certainly could have helped him not be insecure around me uh, because I wasn't, <laughs> I was even told, Jean, you're not going to get that um, promotion because you're a woman. Now, how do you like that? Oh, and wow. that was back in the 80s when that was, you kind of accepted that. Right. But, you know, so I witnessed a lot of things in the workplace like that. And now I witness a lot of us bullying ourselves. And I have to be careful I don't do it myself because when I say bullying myself, I mean being such a harsh judge of myself. And I'm not alone because a lot of women who are drivers and trying to accomplish a lot and have very high standards, um, they in a way bully themselves. Yes, Yes, I deal with a lot of women that, that way myself, you know, being a mindfulness coach, you know, I, I, you know, women come to me and some of them feel like they're being bullied. Many of them do, or they're having problems and want to be more mindful. And then when we really dig in, we find out it's much more of what you're describing, that they're actually creating a story, saying it to themselves, convincing themselves, and it, it really amounts to self-bullying. Yeah, it really does. Well, what and I found is um, each year I try to set oh, sort of a theme for my year and, you know, gain one new proficiency this year or um, focus on gratitude or focus on uh, last year. It was compassion. And so I read and paid attention to compassion for others, and I, I, I think I made quite good progress, um, knock on wood. I hope to stick mm -hmm. with it. But what I discovered during that process, I wanted to be more compassionate towards others. And I don't know if I read it or learned it or how it came about, and I realized, wait a minute, I've got to be more compassionate towards myself before I can do that. Right. Um, I have to stop judging myself as harshly before I can do that. And um, it's helped a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I uh, didn't talk with you about meditation. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times in our conversation. Is meditation part of your life? And if it is, can you describe what it's like for you, Jean? Yeah. Yes. I can. I can finally answer that question. Yes. With integrity. And the reason <laughs> I say that is because I have tried to develop a meditation routine over the years and never really stuck very long with it. But I really think I have got it now. And when I say I've got it, um, I focus not on the process, but on the results. And I feel so good. Hmm about the results 
that it makes me want to honor my routine or habit, as we talked about earlier. And um, because I mentioned earlier, I'm such a morning person. I'm get up, go, go to, go to the gym, go to the yoga studio, start work. Uh, you know, it's such a peak time for me. Um, physiologically, I can't really say I meditate in the morning, but I sort of do. For about 10 minutes, I sit and have quiet time. But the part of the routine that has really taken off for me is at lunchtime. I work at home. Sometimes I almost always go downstairs from my third floor office to the kitchen on the first floor and have a little salad and something to drink or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I found, wait a minute, sometimes I don't want to run back to work upstairs and do stuff. I'm, I just want to sit here and maybe that would be a good time for meditation. And that has really worked. Um, I'm very disciplined. I have been doing it for at least 15 quiet minutes. I set the alarm on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And many days I'm so excited to say I don't want to stop when the alarm goes off at 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's really, really helped calm me down because I don't like to... I don't know what the word to describe me is, but I think the best word is intense. And if I get going on doing something, I, I so intensely go after it. I have to, quite frankly, set an alarm to get up and stop working on a project. So this meditation routine I'm on now is, um, it feels so good. Oh, that's great. That's so good to hear. Gene, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Well, this might sound pretty self-serving, but you're one of them, Bruce. (laughs) Because I got to know you just as I was really trying to focus on mindfulness and so it has really reinforced where I was going but the very first person I met was Eckhart Tolle and read his book Practicing the Power of Now and actually in October I'm going to a retreat in Costa Rica that he is leading to further build my muscle on mindfulness. Wow, that is so exciting. (laughs) That really is. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jean? Oh, it has has calmed that intensity big time. Um, I'm much more at ease with what I'm doing. Even if I'm busy and there's a lot going on, I do it in a more easy way, just more flow, I guess is maybe a word that works. Um, More calm and more flow. And also, when I do kind of start speeding in the mind and going somewhere else, I know I can call on that and come back to it. And even just in my mind, I'm in the car or with other people or whatever. They don't know what's going on in my mind. And I just focus a little bit on my breath and calm myself back down um, and reduce that intensity 
kind of on the go. <laughs> right, right. That's great. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Well, the book that um, I really like, it's it's related to mindfulness. It's not about mindfulness, mm -hmm. but it's a book uh, I mentioned earlier by Amy Cuddy, and it's called Presence. And Amy Cuddy did the one of the top-rated TED Talks on power posing. And in that book, coincidentally to mindfulness, she says that the concept of presence is really rooted in the Eastern practice of mindfulness. And she draws the distinction of how it's different, but um, it, it goes back to saying, when you're mindful, you're more powerful, and you recognize your values, and you can demonstrate your best self when you're present. Right, right. Well, you mentioned that you use your iPhone as a timer, which is definitely a great thing. Do you use any other apps which help you to be more mindful? I've tried other apps um, along the way, but um, I no longer or I never stuck with any of them. Um, my really only app is my iPhone alarm, but I set sure. a nice quiet chimes mm. <laughs> to go off and not some hash, you know, Da -da 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 kind of wake-up yeah. call. Yeah. No, just my yeah. iPhone. Yeah. Well, so what advice would you give a person, and, and I'm thinking particularly a woman because I know you deal with a lot of women, but a woman who is maybe feeling overwhelmed and would like to kind of get more order into her life, and maybe she's not that familiar with mindfulness. What would you say to her? Well, I, I think the most important thing is that these women who are overwhelmed recognize how important it is to do something for herself. And the first thing these overwhelmed people go is, I don't have the time. And they get on these vicious cycles. They're taking care of their children, their husband, their demanding job. It's interesting. Women have taken on these really big jobs in the last 20 or 30 years but they didn't take away very much. They still try to be the leave it to beaver, uh, perfect wife, mother, and homemaker. And I would say you must make time for your mindfulness and find a resource, you know, maybe listen to your podcast, get some of the resources on your website, or find any other mindfulness website and I mean, a resource, and just try it and make the time. It might be accompanied. A lot of women do yoga. It might be accompanied with yoga. It might be accompanied with other kinds of moving meditations because I know like when I swim on Saturday mornings, it's very mindful and, and peaceful for me. I'm not swimming like the Olympic people are. But... Um, it will pay back a hundredfold. So don't say, I don't have time, because this is what that means to me. When you say you don't have time, you're saying, I choose to spend my time on a higher priority. Right. Very well put. And I really like your advice. Do something for yourself. That is excellent. Mindful Tribe. Do something for yourself today, <laughs> you know, do that. Now, Jean, how can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and possibly connect with you? Um, well, my website is Coach Jean 
katon.com and it's a tricky spelling c a t o n so it's coach gene katon even though it looks like cat and right. on <laughs> right. coaching is a great way to connect with me i have a facebook page color my world confident um, my podcast is on um, itunes and my website and everywhere that is called color my world confident um, and those are easy ways to do it and i'm on linkedin and twitter as well so there's all types of ways they can get in touch with me and i offer two things. One, I offer a free download about the five mistakes women make that cause their careers to fail. Those are things they do themselves. And I give five solutions to help them change. They can get that free website, uh, free download on my website. And then if they get that and they like it and they want a complimentary 30 minutes with me, no sales pressure, they can get a free sample coaching. Oh, wow. That's very, very generous. Very generous. I've learned so much from you just right here in this interview. So that's great. So reach out to Jean. Very generous offer. So it's been really, really tremendous talking with you today, Jean. And uh, I just wish you all the best. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you so much. I'm such a big fan of mindfulness. I was very glad to speak to your listeners. (laughs) Yeah, great to have you here. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, bye now. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful show notes on every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. Next time, Mindful Tribe, I have a terrific guest, Diane Daniels. She worked in the healthcare field and has a podcast called Medicare Nation. In fact, I think she still works in the healthcare field, but she also decided to personally become more healthy take care of herself, and lose some weight. She created the podcast called Weight Loss Nation, where she has helped hundreds of other people lose weight and become more healthy too. So, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today with Jean Caton to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.